0: And in the meantime, as uh, the baskets are being passed, I want to encourage you to grab your Bibles uh, in the pews in front of you or uh, the ones that you have. If you've grabbed a pew Bible, uh, we are in Acts 24, page 934. I encourage you to follow along and to, to read with me. Just when you thought we'd get out of chapter 24, we stay in one more week. I promise next week, twenty-five, chapter 25, starting at verse 24, this is what the word of the Lord has to say, after some days Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he set he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, Go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given to him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus. And desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. This is the word of the Lord. A gentleman in uh, 2012 by the name of Alex Stone wrote an article in the New York Times called Why Waiting in Line is Torture. Without even reading it, some of you are going, Absolutely. You know, even waiting uh, for the red light to turn green and that that grandma or that extremely slow... No offense, Pat. uh, (laughs) Moving. I know, you're a fast driver. Just, it's like, come on, let's go. Can't you see the, the light has been green for half a second now? Let's go. This is absolute torture. It is killing me. Christmas is coming up. Are you Ready? not just for the Christmas shopping, but for the Christmas lines. People waiting in parking lots and circling around like vultures, waiting and waiting and waiting for that one spot that is two spots closer than their original one. And just waiting. He said this. Americans spend roughly 37 billion hours each year waiting in line. 37 billion The dominant cost of waiting is an emotional one. Stress, boredom, that nagging sensation that one's life is just slipping away. The last thing we want to do with our dwindling leisure time is squander it in stasis. Isn't that true? Every second that you wait in line or you're waiting for somebody, it's that feeling of, I am just wasting my time. Where are they? Why do I have to wait? Are you serious? This is the This is a 10 item or less line, lady. You've got 11 items. It's going to wait. I've got to wait another five seconds for you. And we have this feeling like our life is just slipping and slipping and slipping away. And it's an emotional tear on us. If you've been even a Christian for very long, you have even experienced God's delays, haven't you? David, King David, experienced this, and he wrote, I am weary with my crying. My throat is parched. My eyes fail while I wait for my God. (laughs) Again, he wrote, My soul waits in silence for God only. From him is my salvation. It's a sense of how long, oh God. I've been praying for this. I've been waiting for this. You know the desires of my heart. How much longer do I have to wait for this. Why are these things not cosmically somehow coming together and working out the way I had hoped and the way I had dreamed? Oh, it's just not coming together. And waiting is especially difficult in light of the shortness of life. The older you get, the quicker life seems to go by, right? You're just going, are you serious? I am 40, going to be 44 in a few short months. Where in the world has all the time gone by? I remember it just seemed like yesterday that I was holding my daughter Gracie when she was born and looking at her going, you are a beautiful 10-pound, 10-ounce baby. You are huge, but you are beautiful. And now I am going to be welcoming a 10-year-old into my life. Or even before that, I remember that, that first dance my wife and I had where it's like, oh, we had, we had even rehearsed this dance. We took classes for this dance. Learning how to follow and how to lead. And I remember that dance. And even before that, I remember cake getting shoved up in my nose. Like it was just yesterday from my wife. Who then took off running across the dance floor. <laughs> she knew there was hell to be. <laughs> but it just seems like yesterday. So I wonder how quickly these years and why they just go by so quickly. But because life is so short, it's difficult when the Lord makes you wait. You're waiting for answers. You're waiting for relief. You're waiting for a response of of some sort. And Paul must have struggled with this exact same thing as he was in custody in Caesarea. The notice that we get here almost seems like an insignificant passing of time. Because we can read read that one sentence in just a matter of a couple seconds. When two years elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus. And desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. Two years like that. And we read it. You can read it in seconds, but it represents two long years of Paul's life. Of waiting. And he wasn't getting any younger. And you'll look you'll look and look and look in vain for any mention of God in these verses. And it seems almost capricious of God. And it was just for some political gain that the selfish selfish politician leaves God's number one apostle to the Gentiles in prison. Preaching the gospel to the Gentiles will have to wait for two years. And as Paul waited and prayed and prayed and waited, he must have wondered, God, why don't you get me out of here? Why? There are many lessons that we can learn from our times of waiting for God's delays, but I want to focus on two this morning. So this is going to be our theme for the morning. God uses his delays to teach us to trust him fully more fully and to submit more thoroughly to his lordship over our lives first god uses his delays to teach us to trust him more fully to trust him paul was a man of great faith he and no one graduates the reality no one graduates from the lord's school of faith in this lifetime but paul had more postdoctoral work In this area than anyone else. But there were still more courses. Of trusting the Lord more fully in his life. This course had at least four lessons of faith for him. That God was refining and purifying in him. First when God delays. We must trust him. By submitting our agendas to him. Trust him by submitting our agendas to him. We learn of Paul's agenda in Romans 15. Where which was, Paul wrote just before he went to Jerusalem. His plan was to deliver a gift to the church in Jerusalem, to have a moment of worship, and he was planning on going right on to Rome for some ministry before he went to Spain. This was not a self-centered agenda by any means. After he had suffered for the sake of co- the cause of Christ, I wouldn't blame Paul if he just said, listen, I want to retire. After all this, all I've gone through, I just want to retire and write my memoirs by the beach and just relax. But Paul was seeking to serve the Lord by spreading the gospel where Christ had not yet been named, where Christ had not yet been heard of. That was a very godly, good agenda. Maybe an agenda some of us need to consider. But it was a great agenda but it was not God's agenda. At least not in the way that Paul envisioned it. Paul was ready to get out of Jerusalem and move on and continue sharing the gospel. He was ready to go today. But it didn't quite work out that way. While Paul sat in that prison in Caesarea, he had to submit his agenda to God and trust God to work out his agenda in His time. And there's nothing, I want you to hear this, there's nothing wrong with good, godly desires and hopes for the future. It is, we should be planning and dreaming about what God can and could use us for in the future. We should plan, and as much as possible, we should set godly, spiritual goals for our lives. We should do that. But after all the planning, after all the thinking and dreaming and praying, we have to bow and say, Lord, not my will. Not my will, but your will be done with my life. And I will trust in your agenda for me. We can also learn that when God delays, we must trust him to accomplish. His will through His power. As I said, there's no mention of God in verse 27. Paul must have wondered to himself and maybe to his, his friends that came and visited him where is God in all of this? Why is God not answering my prayers? After all, Paul wasn't trying to get out of prison. So he could do his own thing. He wanted to spread the good news of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. But he sat. And he sat. Day after day, month after month, year after year. And as he sat, Paul had to deepen his trust in God. In God to accomplish his sovereign will in his life through God's power. Acts 23, 11, The Lord appeared to Paul and told him, listen, as you have been my witness in Jerusalem, so you must also be my witness in, in Rome. But then as far as the text shows us, the Lord sort of checked out, if you will, as far as any visible or audible messages to Paul. He didn't tell Paul in advance about this plot on his life with 40 bloodthirsty Jews. He didn't tell him about the false accusations that would be brought against him in Felix's courtroom. He didn't mention to Paul that he would be incarcerated for two years in Caesarea and then transported off to Rome as a prisoner. He didn't tell him about being shipwrecked in the Mediterranean Sea and on top of that spending a a winter in Malta. In all those trials and in all those delays, Paul had to trust God's promise to him that you will be my witness. You must be my witness in Rome. Paul had to trust God's plans and wait for him. Wait. 37 billion hours. Some of those are yours waiting and waiting on god there was no way that felix's politically motivated injustice of leaving paul there frustrated god's plan anyway no not at all it wasn't even a a bump in the road of god's sovereign plan for his people but god wants us to trust him even when it seems as if some evil person is throwing a wrench in the whole plan. We've got to trust God that he is good and that his plans are going to be worked out. We usually don't understand the reasons for God's delays, do we? We just sit there. And we wonder, okay, God, what is going on? I have no idea how these things are working together. But we, even though we do not understand God's reasons for his delays, we need to trust that he knows what he's doing. After all, he is God, and we are not, okay? Probably a good thing for us to remember. We also need to learn that when God does delay, we must trust in him and not our circumstances. Trust in Him, and not our circumstances. Even though we're seeking to trust God, it's easy to put our hope in circumstances instead of the Lord Himself. Paul probably had all kinds of just little glimmers of hope. Every time that Felix called for Paul, Paul's hopes must have done one what? what? Just, just soared. It's like, oh, here's an opportunity. Felix is calling me again. Maybe just today. Maybe Felix would trust in Christ and this whole time of imprisonment would finally make sense. It was for his salvation that I'm here. But we have no record of Felix ever coming to Christ, ever responding yes to the good news of Jesus. Paul could have easily thought, Maybe, just maybe, after another enjoyable conversation with Felix, maybe he will release me. We've got good enough friendship, good enough rapport. Maybe he's done his time and got tired of me. Maybe now Felix will just release me. But not even that is true. The reality is if we trust in our circumstances, what's going to happen? we're going to have this roller coaster kind of Christian life experience. Going from the highs, I'm trusting in this, oh, this is gonna happen, it's gonna, boom, low. Oh, there's absolutely no hope for me because look at these circumstances. Ah, this really stinks, this sucks. Oh, but look at here. And we just go, we have this bipolar Christian experience, right? Up and down, up and down, up. And down, and when things are going up, we're going to be up. When things are going down, we're going to be down. But it was a few years after this, when Paul was still in prison, he wrote the great letter to the church in Philippi. And the repeated theme in this letter is this. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. And then he goes on to say, and again I say, in case you didn't get it, rejoice. And he was a prisoner. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. In spite of all of his years of trials, Paul was full of joy, not his circumstances, but in the Lord. Let me illustrate this for you. In 1812, a man who has a college named after him in the western suburbs, Judson. Judson and his new bride, bride Nancy left their familiar and comfortable home in New England the surroundings to take the gospel to far off Burma. After a difficult four-month voyage, they arrived in India only to hear discouraging news, news reports about Burma and, and to learn that they could not stay in India. They spent a year moving from India to Mauritius, which is off the South, uh, South Africa coast, and back to avoid deportation. Finally, against all advice, they managed to get on board of a ship towards Burma. En in in route, his wife Nancy gave birth to a stillborn child and almost died herself. They finally arrived in Rangoon and began the arduous task of learning Burmese. They found that the Burmese people were deeply committed to Buddhism and totally uninterested and even opposed to Christianity. On top of that, the only English-speaking couple in Rangoon left, leaving the Jetsons alone to struggle with language and the mission. The birth of their son brightened their lives but when he was eight months old, he became ill. With no medicine and no doctors in Rangoon, the baby died. The Judsons buried him in their backyard and plodded through the next few years of their lives. After six years, they finally baptized their first convert. A handful more trucks in over the year, but mostly they faced fierce opposition from the Buddhist monks and the government. In 1824, the British government went to war against against Burma, and Judson was arrested, tortured, and imprisoned as being falsely charged as a spy. A minister for the gospel, charged as being a spy. The conditions and torture in his prison were terrible. He suffered with fever in that dark prison. Judson's wife, as he was suffering, delivered a letter from a friend that asked, Judson how's the outlook kind of an odd question right to which he replied this the outlook is as bright as the promises of God there was a man who learned to trust in God not in his circumstances his circumstances said get the heck out of Dodge go back home Judson was later released from prison only to face the death of his wife and his two year old daughter. As you can imagine, he fought intense depression, intense, and struggled with numerous setbacks, but he plodded on in faith until he died at the age of 62. Today, over 600,000 Burmese Christians can trace their roots back to Judson. 600,000. So when God delays, we must trust Him by submitting our agendas to Him. Lord, I don't understand, but not my will, but Your will be done. We must trust Him to accomplish His will through His power. And we must trust Him in Him, not our circumstances. And it's true for you today too. Trust in Him, not your circumstances. So, our, our first major lesson is when God delays, we need to learn to trust Him more fully. You are God. I am not. The second major lesson is that God uses His delays to teach us to submit more thoroughly to his lordship over our lives, to trust him. Yogi Berra used to have a very famous saying about baseball games. Anybody know it? It's not over till it's over. It's not over till it's over. The same is true with our sanctification, our process of becoming more Christ-like. It isn't over until we meet Jesus in heaven or in the sky. It's not over until then. So if we've yielded our lives totally to Jesus as Lord and Savior, there is always going to be another thing. Always. Always. And God's delay often exposes areas where we need to yield more further to him. We need to submit to God's lordship by acknowledging that he is God and we are not. Paul told the Romans that he had for many years, many years, been longing to visit them. And finally, it looked like he was going to realize that dream, drop off the gift, have a worship experience, and move on. He wasn't doing anything to to bring about controversy. It happened. And we all like to think that we are in control of our circumstances, right? If I just can manipulate this just this way, it's going to be smooth. But the reality is we are not in control. God is in control. We can and we, we should make plans, independence on him. But as the psalmist said, unless the Lord builds the house, Those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So when you make careful plans in dependence on the Lord and the plans get foiled and screwed up by what seems to be a random chance, by the way, there is no such thing, you will just have to bow and say, Lord, you are God. And I am not. I submit to you and will to wait for you to accomplish your plans in this situation. We also need to submit to God's Lordship by not grumbling while we wait. I think that's the harder thing. We can do the whole, okay, God, apparently you're God and I'm not. Kind of do one of these things, you know. All right. But what do we do the whole time? I'm not going to use the words that normally would come out of my mouth, but we do a lot of that. (coughs) Moaning and groaning, if you know what I mean. And it it was while Paul's imprisonment dragged on for two years in Caesarea into his time in Rome that he wrote this to the Philippians. Do all things. Do all things. Not some. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of this crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. In his current circumstance, Paul could have easily grumbled. Easily. I would have. He could have said, listen, God, I obeyed by preaching the gospel to Felix and his wife and by not bribing them, and look where it got me. I am still in prison, and my prayers have not been answered. He could have grown bitter and disappointed with God. But even though Paul's prayers were not yet answered as quickly as he wished, he learned to be content in God's sovereign plan. He submitted to the lordship of Christ by not grumbling, even when Felix had wronged him. Paul says that if if we don't grumble, but rather rejoice in the Lord, our lives will shine as lights in this world. The world won't be able to figure us out. What in the world is wrong with them? Look at all the circumstances in their life. Look at all this junk that's happening. It looks like this is all a red flag here, a red flag there. Get out of this situation. Get out of this marriage. Get out of that job. Get out of that situation. But what do we do? We rejoice in the midst of pain. And the world goes, What is wrong with these people? I cannot figure them out. And grumbling is natural for those who don't know Christ. It's natural. It's what we do. But it ought to be rare. Hear me, brothers and sisters. It ought to be rare for those who submit to Jesus Christ as Lord. When we grumble, we dishonor him. In effect, we're saying to the world, you wouldn't want to serve my God. He treats you really badly. Oh, I submit to him, but he's a, he's a workhorse. He just makes me work. He is just one of those evil employers that push and push and push and make me miserable. God was even angry with Israel in the wilderness because of their grumbling. He had dramatically delivered them from Egypt walked through the Red Sea on dry ground, opened it up. You can see, you know, the Prince of Egypt. You've seen the Disney movie, right? All of a sudden it opens up. Moses and everybody walks through. There's great big whales in in the ocean and they walk through to the other side, dry ground, miraculous, and all of a sudden, whoosh! Pharaoh and all of his army, dead. He led them. With a pillar of fire to keep them warm and to see at night, and, and a cloud to protect them from the, the burning sun by day. But what did they do? In spite of all that, they grumbled. They grumbled about their condition. They wanted to return to Egypt. And because of their grumbling, the Lord said in Psalm 95 For 40 years I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart. They, do not, they, do not, they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my, re- my rest. If we want God's rest in our hearts, we must not only submit to him in times of waiting, but we must also submit joyfully. And we must repent of grumbling. Repent of grumbling. We must also submit to the Lord's lordship, God's lordship, by taking advantage of present opportunities while we wait. While we wait. A well-known uh, New England preacher, Phil Brooks, was normally a, a man of poise and a, a man of calm. He was very... Uh, smooth man you you enter his presence and he would just be like oh i'm at ease my blood pressure went down i'm really calm right now but at times he suffered moments of tremendous frustration and irritability one day a friend saw him pacing the floor back and forth like a caged animal you know kind of like at the zoo you see him go back and forth back and forth and his friend said what's the trouble dr brooks And he responded, the trouble is that I'm in a hurry, but God isn't. Paul was probably in his mid-50s at this time of his imprisonment. And speaking as a man who's just a decade younger, my mid-40s, and I often think about the fact that I don't have many years left. I'm halfway through my life. God willing, and I think about the fact that John Calvin died at 54, Martin Luther, 62, John Knox, a Scottish reformer, at at 58, Jonathan Edwards at 55, Jim Elliott, the missionary, 38, Dietrich Bonhoeffer at 39, Robert Murray Machine at 29 and Charles Spurgeon at 57. Even if the Lord enables me to serve until I'm 75, if I hopefully I'll have a clear mind up to that point. It isn't that far off. So I, I often ask myself, what do I need to be doing with my remaining time that God gives me? Spending a number of years in jail, would not be part of my vision for the future. Two years, God, what are you doing? It's kind of a waste. I got, seven, I got till 75, and then I start getting dementia, you know? And then it goes all downhill from there. But, God, that's not part of my plan. But Paul, no doubt, used this time for his spiritual advantage. He probably met with many visitors from the churches from Judea and used his times to instill his vision for reaching the Gentiles because he was allowed to have have visitors, and many came to him. We know that he, he had many talks with Felix, although it didn't yield any results that we know of. He used that time of waiting for spiritual advance. He had much time, much time for quiet reflection, communion with the Lord, and further study of the word. I'm certain that he studied during this time because during his imprisonment in Rome, he made an odd request to Timothy. In Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy 4, 4 verse 13, he said, and when you come for a visit, when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus in Troas. So one, it's getting cold. Bring me my cloak. And then two, he said, also, the books, and above all, the parchment. Charles Spurgeon comments on this verse and he said, He is inspired, and yet he wants books. Think about it. Paul wrote the vast majority of the New Testament, inspired by God, Holy Spirit filled, wrote these books that we, we still learn from, and yet. He still wants books. He, was, he has been preaching at least for 30 years and yet he wants books. He had seen the Lord and yet he wants books. He had had a wider experience than most men and yet he wants books. He had been caught up into the third heaven and heard things which are unlawful for a man to utter and yet he wants books. He had written the major part of the New Testament, and yet he wanted books. I would add, he's facing imminent em- execution, and yet he wants books. Paul used his time in confinement to deepen his knowledge of God through his word and perhaps through other books. We should use our time when God has has us waiting to deepen our roots with him. Luke also probably used this time in Caesarea to research the material that he used in his gospel and the book of Acts. Someone has said that the key to patience while you're waiting at the doctor's office or whatever it is that you have while you find yourself waiting is to do something. To have something. And I agree. I've watched people in doctor's offices just sit there. Not even picking up a magazine. Waiting. You know they're never on time. Take something with you. A book. So when God brings delays into their lives, we've, we've got to trust Him more fully. And we also have to submit more thoroughly to his lordship in our lives so as christians the reality is we may not understand why god makes us wait even when it seems like we need immediate answers today we're in an instant gratification kind of society right if you don't answer my phone call, I'm going to send you a text. If you don't answer my text, I'm going to send you an email. If you don't answer any of them, I'm going to call you back again and then send you another text because I need an answer right now. I don't know how they did it back in the day when they had those phones with the long cords. And if nobody was home, there was not even an answering machine. And they replied with mail. But today we, we have this Immediate urgency to respond. I need a response right now, today. And God says, no. I need you to wait. We know that the Lord Jesus is good. And we know that he can be trusted. Psalm 27 says this. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of our Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. And let your heart take courage. Wait. Wait. for the Lord. Amen? Let's pray.